This is the Ag Queen Podcast. This podcast explores the agriculture industry with the movers and shakers of those shaping it. Here's your host, Lori Boyer. Today I visit with Angela Burke, and she is the Director of Operations and Maintenance with Pivot Energy. We'll talk more about solar energy as it pertains to agriculture in our show here today. But Angela, let's start off with a little bit of information on you and your background. Yeah, sure. So let's see. I, like many in the solar industry, took a bit of a winding road to get to solar. Uh, I grew up in a small town in pretty rural mid-Michigan. Uh, and ultimately studied architecture at the University of Michigan. And, you know, over a couple years after graduating, you know, kind of bounced around to different design and just different unique roles. I did design at a t-shirt shop uh, for a small township, like still in that design realm, but it took me a minute to really land on solar. Uh, And so my first solar design job was in Midland, Michigan, doing design work at Dow. And at the time they had a really interesting roof shingle product that was solar integrated into the roof. And I found I really loved that work, um, but ultimately was kind of ready for a change of scenery. So moved out to Denver about nine years ago and have worked primarily in the design engineering side of the house for solar. And then ultimately transitioned over to operations and maintenance or O&M about three and a half, four years ago. Um, and I think this is really my true home within solar. You know, it's it's still that design and engineering piece, but with lots of interesting troubleshooting and problem solving. And so this is really, you know, I think my final home in solar for for a long time, at least. And how did you get associated then with Pivot Energy? Ah, yeah. So I moved over to Pivot um, about three years ago. And I think Pivot Energy is just this really interesting and unique kind of unicorn of a solar developer. So we develop and own our solar assets long term, um, whereas many times those functions are kind of split where you either develop or own your projects. And so Pivot really appealed to me because we do everything truly just soup to nuts from from original development all the way through owning a site for, you know, 40 plus years. And having that kind of integration of those teams really stood out to me. And then beyond that, I think Pivot's culture is so strong. And we have been a certified B Corporation for over a decade, which to me, that just really hits home that you know, yes, we need to keep the lights on, but profit is not our only driving force, right? So we really equally hold the environment and other stakeholders equally important as, you know, just keeping the business going day to day. And I think that type of approach and that type of kind of extra responsibility that just really appeals to me on a personal level. Angela, that being said, can you tell me more about Pivot Energy as a company and what you do there? Yeah. So Pivot Energy, we develop, uh, finance, and manage construction on solar projects across the country, really coast to coast at this point. Uh, And then after construction is completed, we transition ownership of the site over to Pivot instead of another owner. Uh, And then we manage and maintain those systems in the long term. 
maybe to clarify a little bit, um, for Pivot, we really focus on the distributed energy scale of sites. Um, so that for us, primarily, that means community solar gardens, which are about two to six megawatts per site, uh, which to kind of strike an equivalent, that's anywhere from about 10 to 50 acres per site. What is the community solar garden? Uh, so a community solar garden is a really great way to access the savings of renewable energy, even if you're not able to maybe install solar on your home. So renters or myself, I live in a condo, so I can't put solar on my own roof. And so this is a way for households and businesses, they can subscribe to a large scale solar garden that's sited usually kind of a little outside of town. Um, and then basically the solar asset owner gets different revenues for the project from the utility or from a state entity. And then we pass along the savings to the subscribers. So basically no solar panels on my own roof here on my condo, but I'm able to subscribe to one of our sites and I get about one month worth of free energy or energy cost reduction each year. Okay. When you say subscribe to a site, does, does that mean you have to pay like a membership fee? No, ma'am. That is the best part of this. So there's no upfront or no ongoing cost to be a subscriber. You're essentially saying, this is how much energy I use. This is how much of the total solar garden I'm, you know, kind of putting my name on. And so no costs or anything to get started and nothing ongoing. You're really, truly just seeing those savings passed on to you. Okay. Very good. Now, <clears throat> What really prompted me to reach out to you is that you were part of the Colorado Farm Bureau meeting and the yep. agriculture sector is really getting involved in agrivoltaics and, and the notion of being able to still utilize the ground, whether it's grazing goats or growing food. Can we talk a little bit more on that side and what you presented at the meeting? Yeah, absolutely. Well, for one, the Colorado Farm Bureau meeting was really enjoyable for us. I think we were pleasantly surprised. Our session was standing room only, and we got lots and lots of questions. Um, I barely made it through my slide deck, uh, but in the best way, right? Like folks were really engaged and really interested. And with agrivoltaics or that dual use, kind of dual siting of an agricultural use plus photovoltaics, um, we at Pivot are essentially deploying that as standard on our sites. So 99% of our sites incorporate a dual use. My only exception site is in the Mojave Desert. So I think we can guess why that one doesn't work very well. Um, but on the remainder of our sites, we're using sheep grazing for vegetation management. So those herds go and live on site through the growing season. And they perform what I like to say is uh, landscaping activities beneath the solar array. <laughs> uh, and then we pay that farm partner to have that herd on site. And so it helps that farm partner or producer be able to kind of overcome the cost of operations like that a little more easily. Um, so let's see. So that's kind of configuration number one. The second option that we deploy on many sites as well is incorporating bee colonies on site. So those bees are 
producing honey and beeswax right on site all throughout the year. They're also, though, providing those really integral pollinator activities beyond the site. So they're going up to a five-mile radius and supporting other adjacent properties in pollination activities for their crops as well. Now, the final kind of crown jewel kind of goal of agrivoltaics in my mind is crop production beneath the panels. Um, so very similar configuration to when we're using sheep grazing. We compensate the farmer per acre per year in order to go and plant crops between the rows. Um, for pivot energy, we'll be planting our first crop in the spring of 2024. So this is new for us and it's new for the industry overall, quite frankly. Um, but we will be working with a partner here in LaSalle, Colorado. And ultimately we'll have actually two co-located sites where we'll be doing a cover crop mix that has some fescues, some sorghum, some oats, and some root vegetables. And we'll be kind of using this as a pilot sort of test site and then hoping to replicate that on dozens of sites here in Colorado in the next couple of years. So the solar panel sites that you're using with the agrivoltaics, are, are they leased or do you lease the farmland from the owner then? Is that how that works? Yes. Yeah, correct. So we lease from the landowner uh, and that's a payment per acre per year. We also go one step further, and if there are increased property taxes due to the addition of the solar array, Pivot Energy then pays those added property taxes as well. On average, how many solar panels or how big is the site for agrivoltaics? Uh, yeah, so I think a key kind of nut to crack for solar in general is to figure out how to do these dual uses really well. Well, it's how to do the dual uses well with minimal design changes to our typical solar array. So if you think of increasing the spacing significantly or increasing the height significantly, that can add a lot of steel cost for the solar owner. And so that is one of our kind of key pieces for us is sorting out, you know, how can we best compensate the producer? How can we maybe co-purchase smaller or specialized equipment to be able to do cropping between the rows? Those are kind of our big questions that we're working through at the moment. And then does Pivot Energy then pay for the supplies, the setup, um, everything needed to put those solar panels in place? Yes, exactly. So everything ground up truly, all of that construction cost goes to Pivot Energy. Um, and then essentially over time, the solar generation, the energy generation kind of pays for itself, just like it would if you had panels on your home. So over the course of a few years, that system pays for itself. And then we're just seeing those revenues kind of on an ongoing basis. And then who handles getting the energy actually metered from the panels into a useful energy product? Yeah, for sure. So many times these arrays for us are 
you know, a little outside of a city center. We're occupying, you know, 10 to 50 acres per site. And with that, we work in close concert with the utility and essentially have a point of interconnection from our solar generation to the distribution lines of the grid. And there will be two meters there, one for the solar side, where me and my team for O&M can go in and watch generation. And then there's a second meter from the utility where they can go and additionally monitor that generation. And then how long is the lifespan of a solar panel? So the warranties on solar panels at this point are really standard at 25 years. Um, but realistically, the life of a solar panel can be much longer than that. Um, so each year, those panels degrade in operations by about 0.5%. So even after 40 years, which is what we more so count on, even after 40 years, they're still operating at 80% of their original nameplate capacity. I see. Okay. And then out of curiosity, what's the cost of a panel? Oh boy, that is not directly in my wheelhouse. <laughs> um, it'll it'll depend. You know, I think the key thing, whether it's on a residential scale or a larger commercial scale, it's just all about those economics and when the system pays for itself. Sure. So, you know, for a residential system, that might be six or seven years. For a large commercial scale system, that might be more like three or four years. So it's really kind of that's one piece of many costs that go into that kind of value uh, evaluation. Angela, does Pivot Energy work with uh, landowners, those in agriculture beyond Colorado? Yes, absolutely. So we have community solar sites in over a dozen states at this point. Um, so we're working really closely with landowners and producers for agrivoltaics in, let's see, Colorado, Illinois, New York, Maryland, Michigan might be coming soon. We're always really kind of integrating this no, regardless of which state we're in. And then how do you identify the sites to put them at? Is there, is there certain requirements um, that's needed before you can even look at a site? Mm. Yeah, well, a nice big flat square is always ideal. <laughs> that doesn't always happen. Um, but there are options for kind of more flexible racking that allows us to leave the topsoil in place and really keep grading to a minimum. So the site's physical characteristics, of course, that's one thing to consider. The other piece that's really integral is, of course, can we connect to the grid? Is there a favorable utility and a nearby connection point where we can actually feed that energy to? And then other questions, you know, it's all about local policies, incentive programs. Can I find a nearby sheep farmer? Can I find a nearby solar technician group? There's a whole kind of hit list of questions. And we try and get as many of those as favorable of answers to get to the kind of most ideal site. Angela, can you go over again how long it takes before someone starts seeing some real benefit, whether it's revenue-based, whether it's return on investment, some sort of benefit from having the solar panels in place? 
Yeah. So the life cycle of a solar system is really interesting from kind of initial land acquisition, which for us, again, is leasing the land from a farmer or from a landowner, rather. Um, From there to beginning construction, just that first post in the ground, that could be up to two and a half, almost three years in many cases. So there is a lot of legwork and a lot of development work and funds that get into a project before we even start construction. Um, Construction then takes about 18 months start to finish. That's all a little weather dependent. You know, my Illinois is a little tougher than Colorado sometimes with the harsher winters there. Um, But start to finish for construction about 18 months. Um, And then depending on state incentives and utility specifics, um, that project will kind of flip over to profitability for an asset owner in about year three to five. Um, Just really depends on which state and which locale we're talking about. Do you have to get any special permits or anything like that since this is kind of a new technology and new concept coming in? Plenty of permitting. And that is anywhere from, you know, a township or county level to a state level. So mostly, you know, one of the biggest ones that's consistent state to state is a special use permit where we essentially are getting that permission to operate an energy generation facility rather than the kind of historical agricultural use of a site. So that special use permit is huge. The other, you know, related but different piece would be an interconnection agreement with the utility. And many times now that utility wants to see the special use permit already in place and already approved to just kind of help ensure the project will actually go live in the coming months. I see. Okay. And then another question I have. So we talked a little bit about incentivizing producers to plant crops or to go ahead and bring their sheep on over or so on and so forth. The actual energy that is created and then metered into the system, do producers make money on that or do they get um, like tax credits or credits on that? How does that part work? Right. So it's interesting the kind of agricultural use of the site and the solar energy of the site, those are considered separately, financially speaking. So the landowner would be compensated for the land lease. The producer is compensated for the activities they're doing on site. And then the solar owner is compensated for the generate, excuse me, the solar owner is compensated for the generation. Okay. Thank you. That That's helpful. Kind of spread that out a little bit. Um, can you use an example or kind of tell me or walk me through, I guess, a successful project and, you know, kind of where the landowner is at and what they're making? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a site in La Junta, Colorado, that is in Black Hills Utility Territory. And that site was energized this just past summer, fall, I think it was August of this year. And on that site, the landowner is being compensated now at a higher rate now that the site is in operations. So we pay an initial lease rate for that kind of three-year development period. 
and it's a lower rate, um, but the land is undisturbed. There's no change to their farm operations. Once a site completes construction, that cost or, you know, that benefit to the landowner goes up about 3x here in Colorado is pretty typical. Um, and then come February, we'll be paying their property taxes on that acreage as well. So that landowner has kind of seen that increase in rent. They're going to see their, additionally, they'll see that property tax taken care of in the spring here. And then with that site, it's been a huge success. We have a brand new grazing partner. That is the Fife family. They live all of two miles away from the site. You can see their home and their barn from the site, which is incredible. And they have currently about 40 head of sheep that were able to go and graze on the site last fall. And so they were able to dispatch them, learn some of the kind of ins and outs of solar grazing. You know, where do we put the water? Where is a good place for maybe some extra supplementary feed or something? Um, which weeds are maybe invading into the area? How do we work together to get rid of those? So that was a really great experience, um, especially for that producer to get on site, get familiar and kind of get their feet under them. Um, and meanwhile, even though we didn't start grazing till August, September, um, Pivot Energy issued a full, like a half year payment. So that went beyond the true kind of time requirements of, for the producer. But we recognized that that was supportive in getting water tank, some other infra infrastructure, et cetera. Um, so they're seeing that full benefit. And now for future phases, we're actually looking at a second array that will be co-located right next to this first one. And so now this landowner is looking ahead to, you know, an additional 80 acres of compensation. And the grazer is looking forward to being able to increase their headcount and get another 80 acres of grazing contract. Angela, what else would you like to say or comment on things that I haven't asked about that would be good and add value to our conversation here today? You know, I would say that agrivoltaics and this kind of dual use configuration, I think many folks at first blush think that it's maybe more difficult or more complex, but really end of the day, I think for Pivot, we just recognize that there's some small tweaks we can make to all be able to harvest from the sun together. And I think taking that little bit of extra time, little extra effort, it really goes a long way for all parties. And I think this is how solar arrays can look and how they should look. And I think we're getting closer and closer to that. And then, and that kind of, I guess, does feed into another question. And so what, in your opinion and your experience, what does the future of this look like? Well, I see grazing and being pollinator friendly. I see those configurations as being very repeatable, very scalable. I think the future really looks like more and more crop integration between the rows of panels. And I think there are some creative ways for us to get there. And it takes a lot of coordination between that landowner, the producer, the solar owner, 
and quite frankly, just some some creative financials to figure out ways for us to make sure those crop producers are set up for success. And with that, I'm specifically talking about like custom equipment and smaller equipment that will fit between the rows. And how can we as solar asset owners help to defray those costs and really set up those producers for success? And I think there's multiple different ways to do that creatively and effectively. I think it's just a matter of getting a few tests and pilots under our belts and then really just singing that loud and proud from the rooftops, right? Like really feeding that to the rest of the industry. And I'm looking forward personally to speaking at any and every solar conference I can next year to really get others excited and ready to integrate this dual use. I thank my guest once again for joining me here today, Angela Burke, Director of Operations and Maintenance with Pivot Energy. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Ag Queen Podcast with your host, Lori Boyer.